Hello and welcome to today's DAC Beechcroft Lawcast. I'm Alex Locke and I lead DACB's National Employment, Pensions and Immigration team. And in this episode, I'm talking to Deborah Healy, a partner in our Manchester team, and Kerry Fuller, a legal director in our London team. Hi, Alex. Good to join you on this episode. Hi, Deborah. Yes, hi, Alex. Hi, Kerry. With the coronavirus still dominating the news, and despite the impressive rollout of the vaccine, the government remains cautious as to when restrictions on our working and social lives will be eased. As many of us continue to work remotely, today we've chosen to look at home working and flexible working for our first law cast on the COVID-19 legacy. These are things we're asked about by our clients every day as they continue to present challenges and throw up issues for employers and employees alike. In this lawcast, we'll look at three main issues. Current working from home issues employers are grappling with. How to handle flexible working requests now that working from home is the new normal for many. And looking to what the future might hold as a legacy of the coronavirus pandemic. So Deborah, if I can turn to you first, what questions are you being asked about home working at the moment? There are loads of things to think about at the moment, Alex. Issues range from physical safety, mental well-being, ensuring that people have got the right equipment and access to work systems, as well as complicated matters in connection with tax, insurance and data protection. And there are a couple of things that keep cropping up time and time again. The first being, when does working from home become a permanent contractual change and what can employers do to prevent this? And the reason why that's quite important is it determines what obligations the employer has in relation to health and safety. It determines whether there's been a permanent contractual change. So if someone can say, I'm working from home now and that's permanent, thanks very much, or others where they say, well, you've changed my work location, so that's redundancy. And then there are two other current issues. So health and safety, working at home, and also can you monitor people's home working activities? Okay, so let's kick off with those then, Deborah. What advice are we giving to employers grappling with those issues? I think the first thing is for the employer to think about whether they've actually made homeworking permanent. And my advice always is that permanent is when a decision has been made to make it permanent. So the employer has said, we're closing the office or the workplace permanently. But it can happen inadvertently if an office lease is just not renewed and it's overlooked. So mostly it's when the employer says that the position is you're working from home permanently. And until this happens, at the moment, it's a temporary reaction to the pandemic. And it's important that HR teams keep the situation under review, that they have good communication with workers, setting time markers for review and continuing to make it clear that the situation remains temporary so that there can be no confusion. And if the situation does change and become permanent, it's also important to think through the practicalities of that for the future, which we can come back to later, Alex. Thanks, Deborah. It sounds like thinking ahead and good communication are the keys there. You also mentioned employers 
monitoring people's home working activity. Now, much has been reported in the press concerning the use of technology and software to monitor employee attendance and performance. Kerry, can I ask you, what's the position on this? Can employers snoop on employees whilst they work at home? Well, I wouldn't recommend snooping, Alex, but there's certainly a level of monitoring that as long as it's proportionate and reasonable, there's a level of monitoring that employers can carry out. But to your point about thinking ahead and planning, that's going to be absolutely crucial to ensure that that monitoring is proportionate and reasonable because we're firmly in data protection territory here. And all of the data protection principles um, set out um, are going to be relevant when it comes to employee monitoring. There isn't a statutory right to privacy in the UK, but as I've said, snooping is not permissible. And it doesn't mean that employers have unrestricted monitoring rights because of what's set out in the General Data Protection Regulation and in the UK's Data Protection Act 2018. Now, I thought you were going to mention GDPR there, and you've done it. So what does that tell us? <laughs> yes, well, um, quite. So personal data must be processed lawfully, fairly, and in a transparent manner in relation to the data subject. So that effectively requires the provision of detailed information to employees about the monitoring activities. And that obviously can be set out for employees in a data privacy statement. So one thing I would hope that employers have done if they have moved to um, significant remote working and they have brought in additional monitoring is to update that data privacy statement during the period we've been working, people have been working from home. And also, actually, they need to complete a privacy impact assessment too, setting out the purposes of the monitoring and the justification for it. Because, of course, personal data must only be collected for a specified, explicit and legitimate purpose. And it can't be further processed in a manner that's incompatible with that purpose. So that means setting out what information is being monitored and collected, when the information is likely to be obtained and how, and why the information is being obtained, and who has access to the information once it's obtained and of course then data security becomes important so making sure that the number of people who have access to the software is only those that necessarily need it and to ensure that they are properly trained in confidentiality and data security. And this all has to be set out in a statement and given to employees? Well, that's right. And also, though, in terms of the proportionality test, so it needs to be done in the least intrusive way. So even just setting it out to employees might not be enough. You have to think about, is it being done in the least intrusive way? So if, to your point, you decided to do it very intrusively and you just set that out, you probably wouldn't meet the proportionality test. So that's why I say just setting it out might not be enough. So to give some examples about what might be the least intrusive way, it's not very intrusive to carry out random and occasional spot checks. That's going to be less intrusive than monitoring on a continuous basis. And similarly, systems that monitor email traffic are going to be less intrusive than those which monitor email content. So thinking about proportionality before then setting that out to employees is going to be very important. And really using covert monitoring is not going to be reasonable and proportionate, except in the most extreme circumstances, for example, where there may be criminal activity or similar is suspected. OK, so in summary, then snooping's out. But there can be some form of monitoring, but that has to be done both transparently 
and proportionately. And we would recommend that employers have to have their policies and contracts in order before doing so. Absolutely, that's right. And you make a good point there as well, Alex, that this could be a contractual matter. And if the monitoring was too intrusive, then somebody might claim that it's a breach of the duty of mutual trust and confidence implied into all employment contracts as well. So that would give qualifying employees a claim for unfair constructive dismissal potentially too. So yes, you're absolutely right. Paperwork needs to be in order. Okay, thanks, Kerry. So in terms of the COVID-19 legacy for home working, we've seen a lot of change and we can expect some of that change to be embedded into the future. More people are likely to be working from home. And whilst we can't monitor their every move, some monitoring is likely and necessary. But it doesn't sound like this is the death of the office either. Perhaps unsurprisingly, more hybrid working is the likely legacy. Now, the next issue I'd like to talk about is flexible working. Everyone's had to work very flexibly for most of 2020, with office-based clients moving home overnight and people getting to grips with that in short order. Now, unsurprisingly, many employers are thinking about remote working in the future and employees are thinking about working more flexibly too. So, Deborah, can employers force employees to work remotely? It's tricky, but it can be done. Ideally, it would be done by the employee consenting. If, for example, all employees are asked to work from home and there's a workplace closure, then that's a redundancy. So the next question you would ask is whether remote working is suitable alternative employment. And as ever, you need to look at it on a case-by-case basis, given that even if it's objectively suitable, it might not be subjectively so for that person. If it's not suitable alternative employment, there will be a dismissal and the employee will be entitled to a redundancy payment. If it is suitable alternative employment, they can be made to work from home. And there's some things that we need to remember is that collective consultation may be necessary if 20 or more employees change to remote working and it's necessary to dismiss and re-engage them to bring about this change of workplace contractually. So if you do this, it's important to include an express right to change the place of work in any new contracts. So if you anticipate this so that you've already set out the requirements around working from home as well as times when the office working may be required, for example, for training, team meetings, client meetings, and so on. So if you've already got that contractual clause in there, say for new people, then you have the right to change it to remote working and there won't be a redundancy. So it's thinking through and anticipating what you'd like to do. Sure. Now that's all very much from the employer's perspective, them driving the change and making the decision. But if we look at the converse of that, now we've had a year or so of effectively one long trial of working from home. In many cases, that will have been successful. From the employee's perspective, is it now the case, Kerry, that employers are just going to have to say yes to all flexible working requests in the future? Uh, No, Alex, I I don't think so. But there certainly are a number of considerations and the dial is definitely moved, as I'll come back to chat about. But what a number of our clients have done at the moment is essentially parked flexible working requests 
and I need to make a slight distinction here, the flexible working requests which have arisen as a result of COVID changes. So the, the reasons that you talk about because people have got more flexibility because they're working from home and that's worked successfully. And so where flexible working requests have been made as a result of those changes that employees want to embrace more, then a number of our clients have for the moment parked it using the business reason of a planned structural change. And of course, listeners will be um, familiar that in order to deal with flexible working requests, they need to handle them in a reasonable manner within three months. And they can reject the request for one of eight business reasons and planned structural changes is one of them. And given that employers may not yet know precisely what their business will look like or what their needs will be once the pandemic's under control, and, and none of us indeed know when that will be, then they may be thinking about some of these potential planned structural changes. So it is appropriate to turn down those requests on that basis. I think that's also fairer because otherwise those who ask first might be given the flexibility they want and those who ask later may not. And actually, while that is potentially a lawful approach to handling flexible working requests, I think it's unlikely to get the best out of the workforce and it may well lead to resentment where some have flexibility and others don't simply because they asked first. And I think that though one legacy of the pandemic on flexible working when it's under control or we go back to a more normal type work, although I take that probably things have changed, particularly for office type workers, significantly as a result of the pandemic. But I think it will be more difficult to turn down a flexible working request than it was before the pandemic, particularly if an employee's work well or the business has performed well when they've worked from home or when they've condensed their hours or they've worked hugely flexibly to manage children as well at the same time as holding down a job. And that's because the other business reasons, part of these eight reasons available to the employer to turn down a flexible working request, three of them are showing a detrimental impact on quality, showing a detrimental impact on performance or a detrimental impact on meeting customer demand. And I think, Alex, that's what you had in mind when you were talking about 2020 was a trial period, essentially. Mm. And, and it may be, of course, that it is more complicated than than that, because although there has been performance and customer demand has been met, perhaps everyone's sort of let standards slip a bit during the pandemic and going forward, higher standards might be expected again. Obviously, that would need to be explained quite carefully if used as a reason for turning down a request. And then those those sort of greater standards of performance would need to be acted upon by perhaps closer management or more stringent appraisals in the future. Sure. So, so again, greater communication there between employer and employee on managing expectations, performance standards expected and so on. Quite, yes. And it's right that the same legal risk applies as pre the pandemic, that refusing a flexible working request from an employee who's protected under the Equality Act often brings the risk of a discrimination claim, for example, protected characteristics of sex, age and disability. So employers will want to distinguish how they deal with requests both now and in the future. Yes, that's right, Alex. And that's why I was careful to say at the beginning that in terms of requests arising out of COVID changes and people wanting to make changes to their working patterns because of the flexibility they've had in the past year. But yes, if someone's making a flexible working request now because they're coming back from maternity leave, 
um, and they want to go down from, say, full-time working to three days a week, then that's slightly different from just, um, oh, I've enjoyed working from home for the past year. Please, can I continue doing it on a permanent basis? Sure. Thank you. So before leaving flexible working, I'd like to think a little bit more about hybrid working. Do you agree with me, Deborah, that this may be what we see more of in the future? I think that's got to be right, Alex. From what I'm hearing from employers and colleagues alike is that some people may want a bit more flexibility to commute less. But the reasons for hybrid flex working include some people just don't want to work from home. They feel lonely and it adversely affects their mental health. Some people's homes just aren't set up for homeworking. So in a house share or because of poor Wi-Fi. But we have to remember that creativity may be stifled by remote working. So there's just lots of those ad hoc conversations with colleagues where ideas are generated. We know that it's often harder for junior colleagues to learn where seniors are remote. And, you know, remote working's not new. Many organisations have been doing it for many years and, and it's good to learn from their experience. We know that Yahoo converted to complete remote working years ago. And what they found was that a permanent remote working led to an erosion, a feeling of a loss of identity, just not a togetherness and a loss of corporate identity. So the the challenge, I think, in the future is going to be how employers and employees pick the best, the things that work, but manage to deal with effectively the, the things that are real drawbacks on working from home. Now, we've we've touched on what the future might look like as we've explored home working and flexible working. But what, what are clients doing? What are they saying about their plans for when the pandemic gets under control? Lots of things, Alex. So, yes, of course, we to some extent, we've been here before. After the first wave, employers put in place plans to encourage workers back into their offices. But now employers will be wanting to think slightly differently. Now we know that there will be permanent change in the future. So what can be done to make office working attractive again? HR need to think about what their triggers may be for revising workplace strategies, how to performance manage individuals who are working from home more, where there's more hybrid working. Do they need tighter objectives, which are assessed more regularly to ensure they stay on track? Does everybody need an an appraisal refresh so ensure standards are clear post the pandemic? They need to think about disciplinary processes. Do they need to change for a hybrid workforce? For example, should the list of misconducts change to cater for issues which may arise from working from home? So, for example, where attendance or work output is poor because employees are not applying themselves to the tasks in hand, so not sitting concentrating on work, perhaps doing the washing or, or, or something like that. So, employees need to think about it. And also, I think it's important to refocus on diversity and inclusion. We know that the pandemic has had a negative impact on this. ACAS have commented that they believe there's unequal treatment of in the pandemic, often females who've been furloughed, given up jobs due to childcare, disabled people have been adversely affected as well. So as well as picking up on the societal movements, as we've seen throughout the last 12 months on the Me Too campaign and the Black Lives Matter campaign. So there's certainly lots of planning work to be doing to take the best bits of what we've learned in the last year 
and also to ensure that aspects of HR that might have been overlooked in the past 10 months are picked back up again. Thanks, Deborah. That's very helpful. So in this podcast, we've looked at how to handle flexible working requests. Now, working from home is the new normal for many. We've looked at current working from home issues that employers are grappling with. And we've also touched on a number of issues that are necessary for planning for the future. Just remains for me to say a big thank you to you, Deborah, and to you, Kerry, for joining me on this episode. Thanks, Alex. Good to chat with you on this episode. Yes, thanks 